Let's read Matthew chapter 3 and uh, Mark chapter 3. I'm sorry. Yeah, I didn't change it tonight. So, Mark chapter 3 on Jesus called. Mark chapter 3, uh, beginning with verse 13. Now, it says, And he, speaking of Jesus, went up on the mountain and called to those he himself wanted. And they came to him. Then he appointed twelve. And the way that is written, it means there were more than twelve that he called up on top of the mountain. But he appointed twelve. Okay. Uh, uh, that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have power to heal sickness and to cast out demons. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Borogenes, and that just means sons of thunder. Okay? Uh, that is sons of thunder. And Andrew and Philip and Barthul- Bar- Bartholomew... Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. And they went into a house. Okay? And it says, And the multitude came together again, so that they could not so much as eat bread. And But his own people and heard this. They went out and lay hold of him, for they said, He is out of his mind. Let's pray. Father, it is good to be in your house tonight. Thank you uh, just for saving our souls. Thank you for allowing us to be in a free country. Thank you for letting us live in this area. Thank you for bringing us together as a church body and equipping our church to reach out to our community. Thank you, Lord, for all your many blessings. You are so good to us, and we don't deserve it, but you're, you're good to us just because you are good. And, Father, we thank you for that. And just guide us now into your truth. Let us apply it to our lives and grow from it. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. We approach a time when we look at this Mark chapter, at this particular passage, that's a a crucial time in Jesus' earthly ministry. And the reason it's crucial is, is because how is he going to carry on the work God has called him to do? And so after praying all night, he chooses a small band of followers to invest his life in. Uh, the inner circle of that band, because there were about 120 that followed him a lot, but the inner circle of that was 12, okay? And for the next three years or three and a half years, he's going to pour his life into theirs. And these 12 are going to carry out the work after he ascends back to the Father. Literally, 12 men to write his life on their hearts. And there's two things that need to be said about that. Jesus freely chose whom he wanted. That's the first thing. And secondly, they obediently and almost always immediately responded to his call. Luke 6.12 says that he prayed all night before choosing. He didn't choose on conventional lines. Jesus chose on the basis, I believe, of the potential he saw. And that, that, that's a truth we need to understand that God sees our potential not our disadvantages. We look at our disadvantages, but God sees what he can make of us through the power of his Holy Spirit. Okay? He doesn't look at all the disadvantages. He doesn't look at all the things on why we shouldn't be chosen or why we shouldn't follow. He looks at, as we surrender to Christ as Lord and Savior and the Holy Spirit resides in us, what his power can make of us. I think he did the same thing to these men. 
So let's look at two or three truths along that line. First of all, notice in verse 13, Jesus called. And he went up on the mountain and he called to him those he himself wanted and they came to him. He called. You see, he had the proper preparation. So I said that Luke 12 passage or Luke 6 passage says that, that he prayed all night long. Asking wisdom, I believe, of the Father. He prepared his heart and his mind for what he was supposed to do and, and who he was supposed to call. And he calls a, a smaller group from the large crowds. And from that smaller group, he calls the twelve. And that leads to the people. It says he called those that he wanted. Okay, later on, Jesus tells them in the book of John, You did not choose me, but I chose you. Okay. He knew what he was doing. Even when he uh, chose Judas Iscariot, he knew exactly who he was choosing. And we need to remember that. Okay, So he chose those he wanted to come to him. And uh, the truth that I learned from that is this. Jesus knows all about us, and yet he still wants us. Now, I, I like that idea. Okay, He chose us anyway. And the second truth, as I said earlier, they were obedient. Do you realize whatever other quality you may say a disciple needs to have, the first one, the last one, the middle one, the most important one is, are we obedient to Jesus? Because you can't really be a good disciple if you're not obedient. And he chose people he knew that by and large were going to obey him. And these were the people he called to be the twelve. You may have heard it before that a disciple means a learner, a pupil, an apprentice. And he called these folks to learn of him. Now think of what that means, to learn of his attitudes, to learn of his ways in dealing with people, to learn of his application of the truth, despite what they had heard the rabbis up to this point teach. Because he went back to the original because he's the one that wrote the law and the prophets through the power of the Holy Spirit. And you see, he called them so they would grow beyond the apprentice stage into what they needed to be when he left to carry on the work that the Father had sent him to do. Disciple is the favorite term for the twelve in the Gospels. And it appears only in Gospels and Acts. And it refers to... To converts in 1 Corinthians are new Christians. And so if you have accepted Christ, you were called to be a disciple. That means you were called to spend time with Jesus. To learn of Jesus. To let him transform your life and pour his life through the power of the Holy Spirit into yours. And we need to ask, have we answered that initial call? If you've been saved, that's great. But are you living up to what a disciple of Jesus Christ is supposed to do? To surrender, to be obedient, to spend time, uh, to read the Bible, to pray, to serve, to learn to share your faith. That's what it means to be a disciple. The second thing I see is in verses 14 through 19, Jesus didn't just call, he commissioned. It says there in verse 14, then he appointed twelve. That they might be with him, that he might send them out to preach, 
and to have power to heal sicknesses and cast out demons. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boranges, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Altheus, Thaddeus, and Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who has also betrayed him, and they went into a house. See, commission. Now, what I want you to notice about the commission is the uniqueness of what's going on. Out of that smaller group he'd called to the, the mountain, he, he appointed 12 to be apostles. Okay, And they were commissioned to go out as an apostle. Now, I want you to understand that an apostle simply means one with a message. Did you hear that? One with a message that he has to share. Usually it was a king that sent you as like an ambassador and you shared his message. You represented him. An apostle has Jesus' message and sent. I do not believe that there are still apostles today because um, they said to be an apostle when they appoint another one to take Jesus' place in the book of Acts that you had to have seen Jesus in his ministry or in his resurrection. Okay? And uh, you had to have spent time... uh, Doing those things. And so uh, watching him. And so uh, that's why there's not apostles. Now some may call themselves apostles. But that gift is passed off the scene. Because the Holy Spirit has written down uh, God's word for us. And we don't do that anymore. Uh, what, I want, what I found interesting is this. There are four lists of 12 apostles. The one we looked at here in Mark. One in Matthew 10. One in Luke 6. One in Acts one thirteen, Peter is always the first. Okay, Philip is always the fifth. James, the son of Alphaeus, is always the ninth, and Judas Iscariot is always the twelfth. Now that was odd to me that the other may rearrange them differently, but all of them have the first, the fifth, the ninth, and the twelfth is exactly the same. Uh, Some have made a big deal saying that it wasn't really a historical event because some are left out and some of them we don't ever hear again from as far as history goes. But I know that it was simply because uh, Judas is always included there. And why would you include him if it wasn't a historical event? Because he was just pretty sorry. Okay, The Bible shows us with our warts and all. And some list Thaddeus and some list Bartholomew. There's sort of a, a Greek surname there. And so that's why there's a difference there. Okay, And Didymus, uh, Thomas is called Didymus, which means the twin. We don't know if he had a twin that was in the apostles. Uh, he wasn't named that we know of. Or he just had a twin brother somewhere or a twin sister. But realize those are, those are unique in, in who he called. Okay, uh, then the second thing I want you to notice, not just the difference, or I guess I better discuss why 12. You remember why 12? You know the answer to that. The 12 tribes of Israel. Okay, and they represent the new people of God, which is the church, which is us. Okay, and 12 was just that complete number that God wanted. Uh, there were 12 in the original Israel. There's 12 in the new Israel. We are the new Israel. And if you don't believe that, read the book of Romans. We've been grafted in as Gentiles. Then the differences. These men were really different. They remind me of a Baptist church. You don't think so, huh? Peter. Okay. Peter's name meant the rock. Not yet it didn't. 
You realize he didn't become the rock man literally until after Jesus recommissioned him. He was always flying off the handle here, sticking his foot in his mouth there, wishy-washy here, wishy-washy there. And it shows up when he denies Christ three times. But he never makes that mistake again. And Peter becomes the rock of the early church and the rock, the leader of the apostles. Then you have James and John, the sons of thunder. Now what kind of daddy must they have had to be called the sons of thunder? And Jesus calls them Barzigenes. So they, you know, and later, early on he says, Jesus would just call down fire on them and let fire get them. You know, uh, they, they were not the most patient men. And yet, by the end of his life, John was known at the church of Ephesus as the apostle of love. Wow. Then you have Matthew as a tax collector. Tax collectors were no more popular then than they are now. You have Simon the zealot. And the zealot means he was so far Israel, he hated the Romans, okay? Andrew, when you see him in Scripture, he's always doing one thing, bringing somebody to meet Jesus. What a guy. Then you have Thaddeus, which means big-hearted, okay? And then you mean you have Judas Iscariot. He's called the man of Issachar, or the Iscari. And that means he carried a dagger. He was those that would slip up behind people in a crowd. And they so hated the Romans, they would stick the Romans in a crowd and then put it back inside and leave. But his name has more of a meaning than that because Issachar was known as men of falsehood. Okay, And doesn't that fit him that he's Judas Iscariot, the man of falsehood? I want you to think about how different that is. You have... Wishy-washy, you have a tax collector who's very detailed. You have a traitor in your midst. You, you have somebody who is going to be the apostle of love, so he had to be big-hearted. And he was so big-hearted, he's always the one that, that is called the apostle whom Jesus loved. Don't you know, he loved them all, but there was a special relationship with John. And can you imagine the tax collector who worked for the Romans and the Iscari and the Zealot in the same group, butting heads all the time. That's why I said it reminded me of a Baptist church. They are a unique group. But the thing is, they were all appointed. Remember what they are appointed to do. To be with Jesus and learn from Him and to share the gospel. We are appointed to be with Jesus and learn from Him as disciples and to share our faith, our testimony. So things haven't changed just a whole lot. He still uses us in a wide variety of ways. It always amazes me how many different people have different gifts in the church. And sometimes they keep those hidden and they want people to know. And sometimes they share that and we use it. I mean, wouldn't church be dull if we didn't have a pianist and an organist? Wouldn't it be terrible if we didn't have people who like to work in the nursery and love on those babies? You may not think so. If you think children are busy, let them scream a little bit like a baby. Okay, And not only that, but we are able to reach new families because we have places for our children on Wednesday nights and on Sundays to teach. We have bus drivers. We have building people. We have people in charge of the, uh, the grounds. We have all kinds of different folks working together. Use our gifts, whatever they are, to serve a risen Savior, just as these men were called to do. The last thing I want you to notice is that Jesus carried on. Now think about it. Up to this point in Mark, Jesus had conflict already with the religious leaders. He has called this unusual group together to literally be the foundation of the church that will be established in the book of Acts. 
He's going around preaching and teaching, doing miracles. In verses 20 and 21, here's how he carried on. It says, then the multitude came together again so that they could not so much as eat bread. In other words, there were so many people they were ministering to, they didn't have time to eat. But when his own people, who are our own people? Hello. His family. When his family heard about this, they went out to lay hold of him. For they said, what? He's out of his mind. But Jesus just kept carrying on. You see, we need to understand that he carried on doing what God had called him to do. The crowd was there. It was so large, it was interrupting life. But Jesus just kept on doing what the Father had sent him to do. To seek and to find that which was lost. To call the sons of Israel back to their covenant relationship. To heal the sick. Okay, uh, to preach uh, uh, salvation to the captives, those that were enslaved in sin. And his family thinks they'll put a stop to it now. They're probably worried about his health. He's working too hard. They probably worry that he's confronting too many uh, of the powers that be. I mean, he's changing things, and the powers that be do not like it. They don't like him at all. Ultimately, they, they arrange for his murder, and they're successful in that. Don't you think... That they didn't know that he claimed to be Christ. They did. Uh, They killed him. And yet, on that cross, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. He carried on. He carried on in leaving his job, in picking this group, in going against culture and the religious leaders. You see, they didn't believe Jesus until after he rose from the dead. A lot of his brothers didn't believe at all. But he carried on with the work. The message there is, and I want you to hear me. When you work for God and you're trying to do your best, there's going to be opposition. Some people think if I'm just doing God's will, it'll be smooth sailing. I want to tell you something. That is a lie. The devil opposes everything we do for Christ. He does not want us on fire to Christ. He does not want us sharing the gospel about Christ. He does not want the power of the Holy Spirit to be displayed and people uh, to be drawn in. He will fight that tooth and nail. But we're supposed to carry on. Jesus carried on to the end. Jesus carried on when it looked like he would lose. Jesus carried on because it was the Father's will. And when we talk about the twelve, they carried on. As far as we know, uh, every one of them met a martyr's death, except maybe the Apostle John might have died of old age. But even he, they tried, one of the emperors tried to boil him in oil, and he was scarred up, couldn't kill him. He was, was exiled to the Isle of Patmos, where he wrote and received the book of Revelation. Okay, So don't think you're alone in this world. You're called to be a disciple. And it can be hard, but the best news is, It's worth it. The best news is, if you want your life to count for something, the gospel is what it counts for. The work in the kingdom of God is what it counts for. God won't forget one single minute thing we've done in His name. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? What do you do with a message like this? Well, I'm asking you this. Has God called you, first of all, to salvation? If not, you need to accept Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Maybe he's calling you to join this church by baptism or letter or statement. Maybe he's calling you to work in the church. Maybe he's calling you to surrender some things to him so he can use them. Maybe he's calling you to quit looking at your disadvantages 
And let the Holy Spirit bring out your potential for the kingdom of God. Whatever it is, he's calling you to do that tonight. You are here not by happenstance or chance. You are here because God had something for you to do tonight. And so I'm going to pray and then you, as we stand to sing, you do what God wants you to do. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for tonight, for the good crowd that could have been anywhere else. But they're here because they love you. Bless them for that and bless their families for that. And Father, you just have your way with us now in Christ's name. Amen.